making up their mind about you. May they feel welcome in this space. God, we're thankful for those that are already on the team, so to speak. May they be encouraged and challenged this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Today's title is called, A Change is in Order, from the book of Romans, chapter 12. A change is in order. A change is in order. Romans 12, verse 1, 2, and 3. Just three verses today. Now, if you're new or visiting, don't worry. First 11 chapters of Romans we took on in the fall, week by week, chapter by chapter. All that is on our app if you want to hear. Here's the Cliff Notes version. Romans 1 through Romans 11. There is a great love story that God has written through his son, Jesus, and by his grace, you have been given a part on the team. That's it. And then, Paul says in Romans 12, we've got to make our lives change is in order. I'm a youth soccer coach, and I've coached baseball and whatever else, and I love the practice of coaching, of taking a group of uh, boys or girls and getting them to just play with passion. And sometimes I take it pretty serious. You know, when they're kicking, I'm like doing pantomime on the sideline and the goal doesn't go in. I'm like, no, you know, and they're eight years old or seven years old or six years old. So like, I'm really into it as a coach. Not because I necessarily want to win the championship, though there's some of that, but more of I want to see them play with purpose. I want to see them play with purpose. There's something about seeing a group go from a formless group of individuals to playing with purpose as a team and seeing them come alive that's so energizing. Four Novembers ago, the team has, has really rallied. It's, the team is Green Crush. You've probably heard of them, right? They were eight, but a big deal in the Snow King League at the time. And we were playing in the championship, which was scheduled for a Sunday in November four years ago. I finished my duties as pastor, got through the message, changed into my coach gear, and ran to the field where the assistant coach had had them warming up. And I was so pumped. I was so excited. It's Championship Sunday. And in the, in the youth leagues, you know, we don't keep score in the early years. All the parents are. And then this is the first year of we're actually keeping score. The boys have made it to the championship. But through the first half... I don't know if it was the foggy November day. I don't know if it was the field that felt like it was about calf deep for these little boys. It was overgrown. But everybody was playing without purpose. They were so sluggish. And at halftime, I, I, I rallied them. And I'm like, boys, like we've been together for four months. Win or lose doesn't matter. But can we play the game the way it was meant to be played with purpose? And we went out there in the set. You know how it went four years ago, Green Crush. We won the championship because when you play with purpose. Now, what's beautiful about this, even though it's four years ago, is that look at the coach's son, like kind of the wings on the hair. That's a bold move. Uh, six of these boys are part of this church now. Six of these boys. They're young men now, junior hires. Some of them were members of the church then. Some have come. But six of these boys are part of this community we love the youth of this church. We love trying to get the kids and youth of this church to know they're part of a team of faith. And this was really, really joyful because they played with purpose. 
Now, that's the thing Paul says here. We've taken 11 chapters to unpack the way we think about the faith. And now Paul says, you got to play the game. Turn to somebody on your left or right or behind you and say, play with purpose. Just look them in the eyes and remind them there's a, re- there's a way to play. Play with purpose. As we look at Romans 12, verse 1, 2, and 3, this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, we, we've talked a lot, church in Rome, about the way we think. And yet faith is both theology and practice. There's a false dichotomy between theology or orthodoxy and ethics, orthopraxy. And depending on the season, depending on the church, depending on the communicator, we get into seasons where it's all right belief, not really informing behavior. And then we have whole denominations and churches that get all into behavior, not focused on belief. And this is a false dichotomy, Paul says in Romans. Verse 12, 1, therefore, because we've learned some stuff, we've got to play the game. Mercy available to Jew and Gentile, all are invited, but we're called to be transformed. And so as we look at Romans 12, just these first few verses this week, and then I'll preach next week on the rest of chapter 12 and and how we know our different roles on the team. Paul's saying, first off, know God's love unconditionally, and may that so inform the way we live that we're utterly and completely changed. And this change here, changes in order, is your sermon title. I just want to drill down in that in a moment, because especially in, in January, where some of us are still clinging to the hope of our New Year's resolutions, we want changed behavior. But Paul says in here, That our behavior flows from a new view of ourself, a renewing of our minds, and a first, a view of who God is and who he says we are. And so our big idea this morning, the changes in order because of Christ's mercy, we're called to live different in three simple steps. And in no way do I mean to make our behavior transformation seem easy because we will spend the rest of our days trying to get this right. But there's a new paradigm for disciples Because of his mercy, we can live different in three steps, with a new view and a renewing of our mind and a new view of ourself. View, renew, new. Let's begin in verse one. Verse one of Romans 12, step one. Start, says Paul, step one in the changes in order. Step one is to start with a new view. Romans 12, 1, I'm reading from the New International Version. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, from the beginning, the church was for men and women included, diverse backgrounds, one family of faith. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, Verse 1 of Romans 12 needs really its, its own sermon series. There's so much here. But let me, let me just focus here on, on the steps to take. Paul says, start with a new view. Therefore, he starts chapter 12. It's the movement in Romans between theology and ethics. Most scholars acknowledge that 12 starts a new thing. Therefore, Paul's saying, chapter 1 through 11, totally true. The stuff we think about absolutely informs our life. But also true, we're meant to play with purpose. We're meant to not just be on the field, but to be living in such a way that our life is bringing glory to God. We've got to be changed. Paul says, how do we do it? Start with a new view. First view and then offer. 
Now, if we just kind of drill down into verse 1, chapter 12, we view God's mercy, and then we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. This is super important. The first thing we do when we want a change in our own lives is view where power comes from, and that's God. Like, we often do this backwards. We want to change our behavior and so get right in such a way that we have the right status with God or that our neighbors or people might see us as being godly enough. But Paul says, no, 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 no. View God's mercy first. The first way to change yourself is to get a new view of Jesus. Or as Eugene Peterson translated, fix your attention on God. This is where change comes from. It's a new view. If we view, then we offer, then we are living sacrifices. There's an order to take. If we offer our lives as a sacrifice before we view God's mercy, or if we stop viewing God's mercy, but we're all about the sacrifice, we will be doing sin management, behavior only, doesn't work. It doesn't. We know this to be true. Like, it just doesn't work to say, I'll be different. I'll be different. Paul says, all of your change will come downstream from a new view of who God is through God, through Jesus, the Son, through the Spirit that's been left with us. Get a new view. The writer of Hebrews writes this word, therefore, since we're surrounded by such great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that entangles us. Like, we've got to run a race. We've got to play with purpose. It changes in order. Let us run with perseverance the race marked for us. How? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. View Jesus. That's it. Now, the Greek word for mercy is actually oikterman. It's actually a plural word, mercies. So, so an appropriate translation would be in view of God's mercies. The mercies of God never end. The, the, the love that God has for you can never be explored deep enough. You can never outrun God's radical generosity for you. You cannot escape God's wide embrace. All of that happens when we remind ourselves over and over and over again, get a new view. That's where the, the new me, that's the renewing of mine, it starts first with a view. I, when, when we were in college, I, I had bought a van. I was getting ready to drive around the country for six months. We now call that homelessness. 20 years ago, we thought it was cool. And... Um, I was, you know, I was totally single and fine with it. Like, nothing's going to tie this guy down. It was like the narrative in my head. I had this idol of independence that still, 20 years later, at times plagues me. But I was asked to speak at a Young Life banquet. Young Life's a ministry to high schoolers. My life had been changed because a Young Life leader played the game of purpose in his life, invested in me, told me my life would matter. It wasn't just sin management. It was this view of Jesus. I watched the Young Life leader love Jesus, and I said, I want a life like that. It was a new view that changed my life. And then I was a college student, but I thought, well, I've seen something. I want my life to look different. So I started to hang out with high schoolers. We brought them to a Young Life camp. They heard the gospel. Their lives were transformed. So they asked me to come and speak at the Spokane Banquet. Now, the banquet is in the Spokane Convention Center. Maybe there's four, five, six hundred people set out in rows and chairs and tables and dinner. And they have some college students come and talk about what they've seen God do. Well, I get up there and I said what I saw God do with these high school students, and it totally blew my mind. Because when you see God move in the life of another, talk about a big view. Like our view of God can often get so small because our world gets so small. If you're like me, we can get hyper-focused on our own narrative. But when we take our eyes off of our own change and focus first on who God is, that's where the change happens. 
So I was kind of telling a little bit about that, and I sat down, and then this, this young woman stood up at the podium. She started to talk about her big view of Jesus, her view of watching these really troubled girls from Spokane Valley. Oh, the valley girls. Everybody's known about them, right? And they, these valley girls, they go, they go to camp. Jesus does something amazing in their life. She's telling the story. Now, she's telling the story, and I'm like, not a bad view. You know, like, I'm now not talking about Jesus. I'm talking about this beautiful young woman on my right. And as she's talking, there's a four, about a 40-foot screen projecting her face because it's a pretty big room that she's speaking to. So God all of a sudden is kind of knocking on my heart. You know, Scott, I know you think you're going to drive around the country, but this woman is really incredible. And as if to reinforce it, the view of the 40-foot version of her head. <laughs> all right, God, I got it. All right, something here I'm supposed to pay attention to. All change with the view. Uh, and then, like most love stories are, it started with a new view. It changed the way I bumped into her accidentally a couple times that evening. I called her, asked her out for a date a couple weeks later. And by God's good mercy, I married the woman, married up. All started with a new view. So let's not talk about human relationships. Your view of Jesus like, how do you see Jesus? Where do you get the big view of who God is and who he says you are? Like, that's a real question for you. Where are you getting that current view of God and how in this season of your life can you see more of it in community, in book studies, in Bible studies, in serving others, in parachurch ministries? Figure out where you can really see Jesus and do more of that. That's like the first question on your outline. Where do I get this big view of Jesus? It's important to start there. So Paul says, when you view, and we'll move faster here, then you offer this is a living sacrifice. We view, and then we offer, and this is a sacrifice. And he says, this is true and proper worship, a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, a living sacrifice every single day, calling itself to be laid on the altar. Now, when Paul says this is true and proper worship, the Greek word is latreia. It's a single word that means to serve God by sacrifice. And this is why, church, this is why our ethic matters so much because for a lot of non-believing people particularly in Seattle they're now called in surveys the nuns they have not n-u-n the nuns n-o-n-e-s the nuns are the most fastest growing group in American culture about religion and it's not so much that they're a believer certainly not or a non-believer an atheist they just have no faith and if you survey most of these people it's because they feel like they didn't see the believers who had seen God live life with much sacrifice See, if we've seen the Lord, we've got to live different. We've got to play with purpose. And this is a really, really key point. I want you to look at me, and I don't want you to miss it, that the Christian life, the Christian joy is based on sacrifice. It is. That God, because he sent his son, Jesus, to sacrifice and allow us to experience new life, that once we really view the love of God, our life is called to be lived in response. Remember, I just read for you Hebrews 12, 2a, fix our eyes on Jesus. Listen to the rest of the verse. For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary, you will not lose heart. 
And so church, if you've seen something, your life will be lived in response. If you love something, it will change your pursuits. That's what worship is. It's defined by your life. Your love story with your God is about pursuit. And without pursuit in our human love stories, love dies. And without pursuit with our heavenly father, our love grows cold. So Paul says, get a new view and then... May your life be lived as a living sacrifice because of the mercies of God. And I love you all enough to say hard things to you. So I'll say this. What rules your time probably right now rules your life. Like where you're making the biggest investment in your time if you're not cautious, that's ultimately where your obedience might lie. And so this is a taking stock type of message where Paul's saying, when you lay your life down for me, your life itself can be a sweet aroma for me, says God, but response is needed. Living sacrifice means continually to lay down your life. And I know, Scott, like, okay, I did that 20 years ago. I came to a, to a, a saving relationship with Jesus. That's called justification. Paul spends 11 chapters saying it's all a gift. So just give up on trying to earn it. And because of who Jesus is, it's all a gift. We've been justified by his grace and by his grace alone. And just simply say, Jesus, I confess my sin. Let me enter into this new life. It's done. It's done. Praise Jesus. It's done. We're, we're justified by his grace and faith. And then the game starts where we're called to play. You, you didn't earn your way onto the field. And no matter how you play, you can't be benched. This is a no-cut sport. Praise Jesus. But he's calling us to play the game, to, to play with purpose. A change is in order every single day to get a new view of God to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. Now, what does that look like? That means if this is an altar, then we, we, we're called every day to lay, our, lay ourselves down, I'm sorry, lay our stuff down on the altar. These, this, is, this is our work. And for many of us, it's like we think we're working our way to God. Lay it on the altar. For some of us, it's the stuff we consume. And diet Mountain Dew, praise be to Jesus. I don't know whose this is. <coughs> I found it backstage. Sorry, I'm dying. It sounds like I drank Diet Mountain Dew. But in a deeper way, God's like, whatever it is that you're drinking and consuming and, and stealing parts of your joy, lay it on the altar. Your identity. This is my driver's license. Your identity, who you think you are. God says, lay it on my altar, the place where you, you derive your energy from, your hobbies and your pastimes. He says, you lay it on your altar, your money, everything, that this, with this new view of this radical love, we're called to play with purpose, it changes in order, through this text, it's like, yeah, lay it on the altar, your stuff, okay, that's, that's good, that's hard, I like it, I want to be called to a faith that's real, I know that people are leaving the church because faith isn't real enough. So I know that my life is meant to be lived in sacrifice the way that Jesus did for me. I'm called to lay my stuff on the altar. Do you trust me? Sure. Come with me. <laughs> now, this is a harder step. I, this is Nathan, if you don't know him. A deep affection for him. Father of five, can you imagine? Who does that anymore? 
He's a carpenter, but he loves Jesus. He's been a missionary. He's seminary trained, and yet he serves his family by building cabinets. Like, what a, what a good man. You're a good man. I have deep affection for you. And like, this is the harder part of the teaching where God says, okay, you can put your stuff up on the altar as a living sacrifice. Do you trust me enough to lay the people in your life upon the altar? Well, you'll trust the people that you love secondarily to how you trust me. That's a hard one. And it's easier for us because there's a measure of distance. If you were my son or daughter, this would be that much more painful. But Nathan, if you would, would you lay down on the altar? Now, I'm not preaching about Abraham and Isaac today, and aren't you glad? That's, if you're not a Christian, that's a church joke. Sorry, but uh, like we're called to lay the people that we love on the altar, a, a, a living sacrifice. Now, Paul's like, in the Old Testament, they were hyper-focused on sacrifice. None of that's going on here. Paul's saying, but your ultimate devotion will be how you lay the people that you love Will you put them before me. Will you trust your children with me? Will you, your people in your life, your friends, your community group, your family of origin, your workers, will you lay them all down, says God? And when we lay the people that we love down on the altar of faith, we're saying, like, I love you enough to trust God first in my life. We view and then we offer as a living sacrifice. Now, this is really, really hard for some of us because for some of us, we say, I'll trust you, God, but not, not that person, not that kid that's, you're not my kid, not those, that my closest relationships. Like we, we have this measure of clinging to our relationships because we think we own them. I'll never forget reading the Keith Green biography that one of his biggest turning points in the life of his faith written called No Compromise, he went into a room and he felt like God was asking him to lay his wife and kids on the altar. And he went in and cried for two days and wrote a song about it because it's so painful to open up our hands and the people that we love to lay them down. Okay, thank you so much. Will you give Nathan a big round of applause because I'm sorry, I love you, please forgive me. Every, every introvert is like, oh, wow, I'm leaving this church. Um, <laughs> so we lay our stuff, and then we lay the people that we care about in our homes, in our peer groups. And ultimately, what Paul's really saying here in Romans 12 is lay yourself down as a living sacrifice. It's a paradox. A sacrifice is something that's meant to die in order to worship. And Paul's saying, this is what faith looks like. This is what playing with purpose looks like. This is the changes in order that each and every day, you're called up onto the altar saying, God, I give it all to you. My hopes and my futures and my finances and my anger that I feel entitled to and my hurt that hurts so bad. And God's saying, I want it all. And we cling to certain parts of our story and we don't give it all. We don't see God's freedom through all of our story. Paul says, the biggest impact in your life will be lived when you lay your life down as a living sacrifice. View his mercy, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And you don't know how humiliating this is to lay up here and thank Nathan so much for that. You think in your head like, man, I'm glad I'm not him. Here's the Christian story. We're all Nathan. Every one of us in this room. God has called you from the crowd to, to lay yourself down. 
and to have your life be lived first with a big view of his love and mercy, certainly, but then your, your journey being characterized by obedience, by changed behavior. Paul's saying, live like that. That's where the new view starts with. And then secondly, that leads to a renewal of our mind. Transform your mind and God's will will follow. Look at verse two of Romans 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. This is step two. Transform your mind and God's will follows. You'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, his pleasing, his perfect will. Beautiful, finally, early, mid-January, you're gonna tell me what God's will is. I've been waiting Well, here's the will. It comes earlier in the verse. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed. Be transformed. Be renewed. Do not let the world mold you into its picture of you, but be transformed by how the renewing of your mind. This this word for transform is the same word renewal. It's the same word for uh, the Matthews when Jesus went on to the Mount of Transfiguration and he took his three best friends and he, he was in unity with God and his flesh fell away until he was just one with God and they could see the very divinity of Christ. He was transformed. Church, if you believe in Jesus, his spirit lives in you and God is waiting to unleash that same power at work in you. This is the sanctification journey. Receive the grace that is, that is free for you to receive and then live the faith. But this is really, really, really important to key in. That the way of faith is about addition, not subtraction. The way of more and more Jesus isn't less and less and less behavior modification. We've done a steady diet of that in the church. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't don't practice these sexual behaviors. We think if we don't do things, that somehow equals the glory of God. It does not. No, we add into our lives pursuit of who Jesus says we are. We add into our lives the renewing of our mind that through scriptures, we're told daily that we have a different idea than what the world says about us. That our mind is so renewed as we confess our sin, as we gather in community, that as we're reminded day after day after day, it's an addition this is what he's, Paul is saying, what is God's will? It's to test and approve the good, pleasing, perfect will. That God loves you and your life is meant to be lived in obedience of him. Loving God and loving others. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 about the transformation that happens with the renewing of minds. We all with unveiled faces, we contemplate See, a new view, we contemplate the Lord's glory and we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We've spoken about this before. So earlier in Romans 12, 2, when Paul says, do not be conformed, be transformed. Uh, In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says, don't be like Moses who put on the veil when he spoke with the people to hide what was fading away. No, what Paul's saying is with unveiled faces, with the mask off our face, look to who Jesus is and have your mind renewed. The growth that we hunger for happens as we unveil ourselves, and we don't hide anymore and we deal with our brokenness and we deal with our loneliness and we continue to press on to play with purpose and then we hunger for a life lived in response. 
James 2.17 and Romans 3 hold kind of this paradox of faith about behavior and response. James 2 says, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But Romans 3 says, we've already learned it. We maintain that a person's justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Now, at first blush, you might think, how do I hold these two pieces of scripture, hold them together? Well, this is the changes in order. Because the order of faith is we've been justified. There's nothing we can do. But as we begin to have our mind renewed, we say, God, I, I, I want to I play with purpose. I don't want a dead faith. I don't want to have to delineate, is my faith alive or dead? I just want to have purpose in my life. This is the journey. Or as Jesus says in Matthew 5, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In, in the book of Titus, which is kind of this odd little book that most people don't read a whole lot, but it was probably Paul's last letter. He writes this, he says, these people profess to know God, but they deny God by their works. And so most of us in this room are here in this room today because we saw somebody that had a big view of God and they invested in our story. And so start with the big view and then have your mind renewed and be transformed. And this is where it starts to get real. How's your thought life? Probably needs to be renewed. How's your marriage? Probably needs to be renewed. How's your anger and your bitterness and your frustration? Probably needs to be renewed. How about your clinging to that old hurt that God says, all of it must be transformed. The renewing of your mind and the washing of your spirit. And we'll spend many days on this journey. But each and every day, he's calling us to a place of laying our lives down. And so I want to ask you this question. What do you need to give up this year to not be conformed into someone else's view of you or the world that's trying to steal your joy? What do you need to add in to push out places of conformity? Transformation happens with a new view. So what do you need to give up? What do you need to take on? Your father loves you. And when I coach, like there's all these little boys that are now young men on the field and I, and I care for them all, but really in my heart of hearts, there's one special one. There's one. And the father's heart for you is so much bigger than you can ever comprehend. He loves you. We're not talking about soccer games anymore. We're talking about a radical love for who you are. God sees you and he loves you. Nothing you can ever do will ever take that away. And then he says, now play the game. Play with purpose. I've got so much I want to show you as you play the game. A new view, a renewing, and ultimately it's our third step. That helps us get a proper view of ourselves. This is where our new view of ourself comes from. Again, behavior modification doesn't work. But a new view of God and a renewing of our mind can give us a new hope in our lives. Look at verse 3 of Romans 12. By the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you are, but rather think of yourself. We see think, don't think too highly, don't think too lowly, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each one of you. Now, really, really, really key here. Don't miss this. For the grace given, Paul starts this verse. It's all about his grace, and faith's been distributed. It's all a gift. And in the middle of that, he says, this is where you need to have a proper view of yourself. If you're a, if you're a follower of Jesus, 
You need to kind of take stock. Lord God, what is going on in my life that, that I, can, can I can go deeper into my obedience? Think twice, he says. Think about it. The image of God that lives in you. Now, it's really, really, really interesting. Like, oh, okay, you're just doing the Christian thing. I'm supposed to just feel like a sinner, broken, shame. No, 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 no. Now, false humility is actually the worst form of pride. So Paul says, don't think too highly of yourself. Think of yourself properly. So have a sober judgment. Understand your life in view of God. This is not saying, don't think, who do you think you are? Don't think highly of yourself. No, what he's saying is, think of yourself the way that you are. You belong to a God who made you and longs to see you in unity with him and loving other people. Nothing can change that. So with that new view and the renewing of your mind, get a proper view of yourself like an archaeologist be kind of pulling out parts of God's story that he's already put in you. To be transformed because the world is hungry for a humble type of faith on mission. Christianity, friends, is pursuit and constant movement towards him. And so go and share and walk and live. A big view, a renewed mind, a new look at yourself. I'll ask you these two questions. Where do you need to make changes in your following of Jesus? And what will you do this week to move towards him? In the final days, Jesus started to move about more rapidly in the book of Matthew before going to give his life up for us. Preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. A change is in order. Healing and restoring and changing them and calling them to active obedience. And so may you know the Father's heart. May you may be renewed in your mind and a proper view of yourself being called into this big pursuit. We have so many ways in this month where you can say, I don't want to do that alone. Tuesday morning, we're trying to get 25 more men to our men's book study. Tuesday for five weeks where the men in this church will just try to get a new view of themselves on this journey of faith. There's tables sign up today. Just get a book. They're giving them out today. We sign up, 12 bucks or whatever. I'll loan you the money if you need to. Like, come and join us on Tuesday morning. Reach youth. There's a camp. Like, come to camp and hear about God's image for you. Women, there's a tea where you can meet other women on the journey. Groups are signing up today because we're not meant to walk alone. All of this. New view. Renewed mind. A new look at your spirit. And on Monday... The pastors, there's about 16 of us from Bethany, men and women that pastor the six different locations. We met at Pike Place Market. And Bethany North sponsored the event, but all six of the Bethany pastors were there, six locations. And we filled this room. And this was the view from our room. We were in the Goodwin Library. And we met for four hours with one question. God, what do you want to do with us by the year 2050? We got 31 years, God, to make a massive impact in your city. And so we started in prayer and confession, and we broke into pairs, and we walked through the market, getting to know different people in the marketplace. I stopped one guy, I said, what do you think the church needs to be more like? He's like, you don't want to know my perspective. I was like, I want to know exactly your perspective, because it's our non-believing friends and neighbors that have the most to teach us about what people are hungry for in Christ. And we had lunch, and we talked, and we dreamed, and we did these visioning exercises led by our very own Jill Going from Bethany, and it was beautiful. 
And we came to the end of our time to just pray over the city, like literally just pray over the market. And from, you know, you could see murals and you could see strip clubs from this room. You could see Elliott Bay and you could see Protege. It's all happening right at the city center. We went to pray as pastors. God, what do you want us to do? New view, renewed minds, new view of our spirit. God, help us move people into radical obedience and have this massive outpouring of your spirit. God, we've been together for 100 years as a church. Give us 100 more. And we're doing this and we're praying. And right before we get started, our very own pastor said, hey, can we, can we do something that we don't do enough? Can we get on our knees and so the pastors, from the senior pastor to, down to the 28-year-old new associate pastor, men and women, every era represented on our knees, because I will tell you this, church, the place of your greatest authority will come when you lay your life down in submission from your knees, living sacrifice because of who God is, not trying to earn anything, but a life lived playing with purpose. And so we're praying on our knees. And if you've done this for a while, it gets a little bit uncomfortable and then you get accustomed to this place of submission. And we're praying and the Spirit's kind of pouring out and people are kind of, you know, just moving this way. And then all of a sudden, this, this, this other woman in the room, she starts singing. She says, I exalt thee. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. Oh, Lord. And we're all singing over and over and over again, and it hits me that the place to exalt is from a place of laying your life down. So may you get a new view of who God says you are. Start there, because he loves you. And may you have a mind renewed. That's the will of God. And may you get a new sense of who he says you are. And may this year be one of obedience I think I'd continue to allow us to, to order our lives in such a way that we change, that our lives lived in response, that we would play with purpose. Would you pray with me now? Lord Jesus, thank you for this church and these men and women gathered. We pray as we turn towards song and we quiet our hearts, Lord, that you would just move, your spirit would move in this place. We're so grateful, we're humbled and thankful that we're on your team. <laughs> Some of us are on the bench, and some of us feel like the all-star center forward, but we're all one. We were given your grace to even be here. Lord, give us a, a purpose to our lives. Let our lives be lived as living sacrifices, laying our stuff, laying our relationships, laying our very lives on the altar in obedience to you. Lord, it's a hard word. It's a good word. Encourage your people now. And all God's people said, amen. I want you to stand if you would, as we close in song, and there were four questions in your outline. Where do you get the best view of Jesus? What do you need to give up this year to not be conformed? What do I need to add to push out place of conformity? Where do you need to make changes in following Jesus? What will you do this week to move towards him? I, I want you just, as we just kind of quiet ourselves here a little bit before we sing, just to, to answer one of those questions. Right now in this room, will you bow your heads you can cheat and look at your outline if you need to, but was, there's one of those questions that for many of us in the room is just like, the Spirit of God is empowering and convicting us. And so now as we just turn ourselves over to your power, Spirit, we pray that you would move us towards obedience. Help us answer one of those questions just in the silent spaces of our heart. And for many of us, we need to actually take a moment and confess 
that we've been distant or hungry, Lord, for a new view. We start there. And then we answer one of those questions in our heart. Let's just pray and open our hearts up to the Spirit, which right now wants to move us closer to himself. Which one of these questions is God moving in your heart? Let's pray in quietness and stillness. Our heads are still bowed, and many of us were just, we're going to start with a new view. It's been a while, and we're sorry we've been distant, but thank you for reminding us that we play for the audience of one. May your great love shower down in this room right now into hungry and dry hearts. We're so ready to receive your love for us. And Lord God, we, we commit our lives to following you. As disciples in this room, young and old, make this year of growth and obedience, moving us closer and closer to the act of living sacrifice. Lord, hear our confessions, hear our prayers. Do the work that you long to do. And all God's people said, amen. Let's close with a song.